Well, it is a new year, going five days into 2020. How many of you still have your resolutions intact? Uh, okay, we got a couple. Good. Yeah, my resolutions are intact because I didn't make any. Okay, that's how I got around that one. You know, that's kind of what we do, isn't it? We get into a new year, we do all of that. We think about new beginnings, think about starting new again. You know, got a reboot year, right? January 1st, let's reboot the whole thing. Let's start it over again. And, and so we start dreaming and thinking, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to dream and have some expectations and go from there. It's fine. There's no sin in that. And as, you know, Joe, um, Joe Weiss had, had written uh, the What's Brewing article this last week on resolutions and, and reminded us that, you know, resolutions are okay, but really what we need to keep in focus and remember is that uh, concept that Pastor Sean has reminded us over and over and over and over again, which is our relationship with Jesus, right? That in, and as we go into this year, it's, well, Lord, what, what more do you have for me in that relationship you want me to embrace? And so that's what Joe kind of wrote about. And so, you know, it's good to, to think through those things, the reboot. And, and it kind of reminded me of kind of what happens when uh, we um, choose to get married. Doesn't this just have written all over it? We've only just begun. Karen Carpenter singing in the background. I so wanted to put that track to this photo. But I have to go home later, so. We have the expectations when we get married. We, we kind of plan out all these ideas and things. And this was taken in January 23rd, 1983. We've been married 36 and a half years. It'll be 37 years this July 23rd. Did I get it right? I did, finally, okay. I practiced that all night, too. Um, <laughs> What's funny is six months ago, I knew how many years it had been, and she didn't. So, you know, we'll get to that point. Anyhow. We, we, we started out like, like every, every other, you know, young couple. We had all these dreams and ambitions. We had all these things that we were just expecting to do. And, I mean, we'd been through marriage counseling and all the things, you know, premarital counseling, get all this together. We had it down. We weren't going to be like all these other couples. I mean, we were ready for this. I mean, we had dated about, what was it, three months before I proposed? <laughs> we had a year-long engagement, okay? So I made up for it there. But so, so this is, you know, this is like, um, you know, 14, 15 months later. And, you know, we think we really know each other, right? So come along, we've been married about a month, and that picture looked like this. I had to use that picture. No, that's not true. But there is something that did happen a month later. Uh, we'd been we'd married about a month, and, and then uh, all of a sudden I started having hearing trouble. Now, I know most guys that have been married a month have hearing trouble, okay? <laughs> Every woman in this place is going, oh yeah, they have, they have hearing trouble. Um, but no, th this was uh, an actual physiological thing that was going on with me. And, and, and all of a sudden, I couldn't hear things. And she's wondering, what did I marry? What happened with all this stuff and, and things? And I'm wondering, you know, did, did she sign up for this? What's she going to think? And I thought, wait, she did sign up for this. She stood there before me and said, I will love, honor, and cherish in sickness and in health, right? So, and I did the same. And, and so they were vows that we made to each other. 
Uh, Ron and Iris Benton just celebrated 50 years of marriage last Sunday. We had vow renewal ceremony last Sunday night. And, and them reaffirming their vows to one another. These just weren't words, but these were, these were promises to, to be kept. And so for the next 36 plus years ahead, we didn't know what was going to be happening as this trial began to enter into our lives. And so as, 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 as the hearing was going down here, it was a couple of weeks after this um, event that I just heard the Lord spoke to me and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I had no idea what that meant. But I remember telling Sherry that, that it's going to be okay. 17 years later, 2001, I got fitted for the implant. Changed our lives. It restored my hearing, enabled me to hear everything again. And here we are 36 and a half years later, standing here preaching. Before. I had no idea I'd be standing here preaching to you today. I, I, I never envisioned any of this. Yes, we had lots of dreams. We had lots of visions. We had lots of ideas that we thought we were going to do. Now, some of those happened. But many others did not because there were other things that God had planned. And that was the point in all of this, that what we committed to do in our lives, in our marriage, even at this time, was that we would follow Jesus wherever he wanted to take us and whatever he wanted to do. Now, has it always been easy? Oh, no. And all of you know that. Many of you have experienced the same thing. It's not always easy going the road the Lord takes us down, but he always takes us through it, right? He promises to always take us through it. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he says. And, and so it, 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 it was okay. And I started thinking about this year, 2020. We don't know what the year holds. We take a look around us. We see what's happening in Washington with, with all of the stuff happening politically, and the aisle seems to be more divided and wide than it's ever been in history, and, and, and it's all chaos. We take a look at our state legislature and see all the stuff that's going on there. Some of it I feel like it's just dumb stuff that's going on, and, and we're, just, we're like, my goodness. And, and, and we, we see people who are calling what we 30 years ago would have said, this isn't good stuff, this is evil, and they're now calling it good. And stuff that we once called good, they're now calling evil. What happened? You know what? Shouldn't surprise us. Because you know what? The Bible said that was going to happen. The Bible said there would come a time. Paul writes about this in Romans 1. There, there will come a time when people will exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for things to form a corruptible man. They will call good evil and evil good. And so we're, we're faced with a year that we don't know what's going to happen. But there's one thing that we can count on, and that's what I want to draw our attention to this morning. I want to call us back to that. And we can count on this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he does not change. That his truth is still the truth today, whether men, women, and children of the world acknowledge it or not, it is still truth. It may not be popular, but it's still truth. And so while we may not know what this year is going to show us, we can bank on the fact that Jesus Christ will be there. And I want to call us back to the basics as we start this new year. That there is a light that will light our way through this new year. And that light that we see coming toward us is not an oncoming train. We often feel like that, don't we? We feel like we're going against the tide and, oh, what happens if I smash out against that and get wiped out? Jesus is not here to smash us to the ground. Okay? He's here to lift us up and carry us through it. And I want to go back and visit that because John addresses this in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. 
John is writing this gospel. He's writing it some, several years later after the, uh, the, other, the other three gospels were written, probably toward the uh, latter end of the first century. And he's writing it to tell his audience that Jesus is the divine human, that he is fully God and fully man. And he's writing it also to tell him this, and he states his purpose in this passage, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, John writes, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's writing it to these, these people that are, that are, that are in uh, Judah that are being oppressed by the Romans, wherever they are, the Christians there, and, and, and he's, he's giving, writing to give them hope, that the hope is Jesus. The hope that Jesus is never going to leave him. He is alive. He's at the right hand of the Father of Majesty. He's going to point that all out as he goes through this. And so let's take a look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You can follow along in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen here as I read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and although the world was, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first thing that John tells us here in this passage, in verses 1 and 2, is this, that Jesus is the word. Now, the, the, the Hebrews and the Gentiles alike understood what this meant. They understood that when John was calling Jesus the word, that he was talking, when he was using the term word, rather, that he was referring to a person, that it was a personification. It wasn't a concept, but that it was a person. In the beginning was the word. And that he tells us later on in verse 14 that this word became flesh. Well, if in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, when did God become flesh? We celebrated it a few days ago, a couple weeks ago, when Jesus Christ left his place of glory above, stepped into history, came in the birth of a baby in a manger, took on the form of a human being so that he could experience everything we did, and yet without sin. He was God in the flesh. And, and so John is making no mistake. He's opening up with this profound, mysterious concept. 
that the word was among us. He goes on to tell us that he was with us at the creation, that he was at the creation. And that not only that, but that the creation was made through him. Jesus always existed, and he was, he was part, of, he had his hand in the creation, and he's holding the creation together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 tell us this, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things are created, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He has been there since the beginning. He has had the hand in the creation. When you go back and read in Genesis, when, when, when God is talking about creating man, he says, let us make man in our image. A plurality. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having a conversation about creating man. Let us make man in our image. There was a billion-dollar word Pastor Shine introduced to you a couple Sundays ago called the hypostatic union. Put that one in your back pocket and pull it out sometime. You remember what that concept was about? It's the concept that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That's what hypostatic union means. And it's, it's a mystery. There's a mystery to this. But it's, some people want to try and reduce God to, to excuse me, Jesus to being 50% God and 50% man. No, he was 100% God and he was 100% man. And it blows our mind when we try to think about that because we, we can't understand that. It, it's really hard for us to grab a hold of that. We have nothing in this, in this world that, that can illustrate that. People have tried for years, centuries, they have tried to explain this. But it is a mystery. He is fully God and fully man. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, tells us that he is the exact representation of God, talking about Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided for purification for sins, went to the cross and then rose from the grave, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So the first thing John is pointing out here to us is this, is that Jesus is the word. And he wants, us to, he wants them to grab a hold of that concept, that the word became flesh, it dwelt among us, and it has made propitiation for sins, and now there is freedom from the tyranny of sin. The second thing he points out is this, is that Jesus is both life and light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What does light do? Light penetrates and enlightens hearts and minds to the truth. It also exposes sin and reveals truth. Why is it that, that some people don't like truth? When the light shines into our lives and, and, and exposes something that, that we're engaged in that's not of God, it's not true, it's not moral, it's not right, why do some react so violently to it? Jesus answered that question a little bit later on in John chapter 3 when he says this, men love the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness rather than the light. Why do they love the darkness? Because humanity has this propensity to want to be in control, to want to be the masters of their own fate, the captain of their own souls, 
to be able to determine the outcome. And, and, and to say that there is an absolute truth, to say that, that there is light that exposes deeds, means that there is somebody over me that I am submissive to, or to be submissive to. But we don't want to do that. We want to be in control of ourselves. And, and so people will often live in the darkness instead of the light because, well, ignorance is bliss. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who walks in me will never walk in darkness again. John 10, 10. Jesus himself says too why he came. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Life and light go together. Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist writes, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God exposes those potholes that are in our way as we navigate this road of life. And it can lead us around them and tell us not to step in that puddle or to go off that cliff, but to stay on, on where he wants us to go as we focus on him. 1 John 5, 11 through 12 says this, that eternal life is in his son Jesus, and he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Simply put, it means this. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have life. You have life not only in eternity to come, but you can have life here and now, abundant life here and now. You can have a life that's free from the tyranny of sin that so easily entangles this world. The stuff that bogs us down, that gets, that gets our minds all anxious when we take a look too far ahead of what's happening in Washington, Sacramento, etc. It can set us free from that. But if we don't have the sun, we don't have that light. And we're inclined to be in bondage to the darkness. The third thing that John tells us about all of this is that the darkness does not overtake the light. Now, the word here is often translate overtake. Some uh, versions like the NIV says the darkness, um, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. It's kind of a, a weak translation because the word that's used here for overtake literally means to grab by force, to, to uh, squelch, to extinguish, to try to strangulate, that violent kind of thing going on. And so... Uh, understood is, is kind of a weak translation of it. It's better to say it has not overtaken it or has not extinguished it. And, and John is telling his readers here that, that the light has come into the world, the darkness has not overtaken it. It's not going to overtake it, and it's, and it's going to always be there forever. There was an example of this that came home to me sometime uh, when I was in high school. I had no idea that this would be a, a, an illustration to use, but when I was in high school, my, my uh, parents, my brother, and I took a vacation to Virginia City. And in Virginia City, they have this mine called the Chawler Mine. And it runs 400 feet under Main Street in Virginia. And when you get to the, you get to the entrance of the cave there, it's, it's kind of cold and things. The tour guides take you back in, and they take you down this tunnel. It looks kind of like this. This is actually one of the pictures of the tunnel, and it gets narrower in some spots as you go back. But then as you get back into the back, it opens up into this big wide room where they were doing some mining. And there are other shafts that go off from that. They're all closed off because of the gases and stuff down there. But you, get, you can see the, the conduit and things where they had light and stuff to light your way going back there, right? Okay. 
So, you know, my mom wouldn't even go in this place. She's so claustrophobic. She's like, no, I'm, I'm not going in there. So my dad, my brother, and I, we go back with this crew, group of people, and we get back in the room, and, and the guide is telling us all about what happens with the miners, what they did, how they worked, all that fun stuff. And then the guide lights a kerosene lamp, and he turns off the lights. Now we have this kerosene lamp. That's what they worked by, was this lone kerosene lamp. And I'm like, my goodness, how in the world do they, how do they do this? How do they work with all this stuff? And, and he would continue to tell him some more stories. And then when he finished that, the guy did something I have never forgotten. He blew out the kerosene lamp. But he didn't turn the electricity back on. I don't know if you've ever been in something pitch black, but this was black. It was so, you could not, literally, you could not see your hand. In, I tried. You could not see your hand in front of your face. I thought it was pretty cool. A couple of people were freaking out in our group. And then the guide does something. This is what I remember. He do it and lit a match. Just a little tiny match. And that little flame lit up in that dark. Now, it didn't light it up like it did in this room, but it, it lit up through that darkness. All that blackest black that seemed to be heavy and oppressive could not quench that little tiny match. Jesus is a billion times stronger than that infinitely times stronger than that to really be on to be accurate right infinitely times stronger than that that is the light of jesus the darkness cannot overtake it that is the picture that john wants us to get that the light shines in darkness and the darkness is not overtaken what does this darkness represent it represents unregenerate humanity under the influence of satan it indicates ignorance and sin, an active rejection of God's will. John's inferring it that those who live in darkness reject God's truth. As a matter of fact, Paul himself writes about that in Romans chapter 1. He says that although they knew God, they, did not, they chose to not acknowledge him as God, and they chose to exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for images and things in the form of corruptible man. Professing to become wise, they became fools. That sound kind of familiar? We think we're so wise without God. We think we're so wise that, oh, we can redefine sexuality now. We can redefine this. We can redefine that. And, and, and there are no moral absolutes. There's no absolute truth. We, truth is all relative. What's true for me is fine. What's true for you is fine. You know what the interesting thing about that argument is? It's self-defeating. Because if Robbie says to me, well, what's true for me is fine, and what's true for you is fine, and I tell him, no, Robbie, I don't agree with you. He says, well, you're wrong, because my truth is right. He just defeated his own argument. He made an absolute truth statement. You cannot hold that position and be that way. We are created that way. Truth is absolute. And just ignoring it, that it doesn't exist, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. That makes sense? Okay. Just because I choose not want to believe in gravity, what's going to happen when I step off this stage? I'm not going that way, right? But I believe all sincerely I want that gravity doesn't exist. I'm still going down because of the law of gravity. That's the law of light. Just because we don't believe in it doesn't mean it does not exist. I, I came across this quote when I was prepping and talked about what sin is, and I found it kind of interesting. It's this. Sin is not a series of bad choices, but a state of being from which bad choices continually Think about that. 
if you live in the darkness, that's your frame of reference. You're going to continue to make choices according to the darkness that are going to be most likely sinful choices. But if you're living in the light, you're going to make choices that tend to be consistent with the light and probably not sinful choices. Now, all of us are tainted. All of us have struggle. All of us make choices that are bad. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is there, right? If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God knows we're going to blow it sometimes. And so we can repent and we can confess and God will take care of it. But what we need to remember out of this is that the darkness does not overtake the light. Well, the fourth thing that John points out in this is that God still gives the right to become children of God to people, even though others reject him. He still gives the right to become children of God. Verses 10 and 12 of John 1 tell us this, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who call on his name. We need to remember something about this. This is God's work, not ours. We often, we, we get hung up on this whole idea of, of receiving, believing, calling, and, and we say, oh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a work of ours. God empowers us to be able to choose. He empowers us to be able to receive. He empowers us to be able to believe. It's his initiative. It's a mystery. I don't pretend to understand it all. And we need to leave the mystery there because there's a lot of things about God that are mysterious. And I don't think he expects us to understand them. But not only does he give us the right to become children of God, he adopts us into that, but he also died for us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5.8. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is that? Paul goes on to talk about that kind of love in Romans 5. He says, yeah, somebody might die for a righteous man, but, but somebody who's unrighteous? No, probably not, but Jesus did. That is eternal love. That is love without bounds. He also wants us to shine his light. Philippians 4, verses 14 through 16, Paul writes about the fact that we are to shine like bright, shining stars as we hold out the word of life in this dark, crooked universe. That the word of God, as we hold it out, as we live it out, as we let Jesus shine through us, will shine in this dark world. It may seem like it's really blacker than black sometimes. It may seem like that we can't see our hand in front of our face, but he will shine his light through us. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In John 3, 16, you know well, I think. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John is writing to his readers and only to us to say, look, Jesus is the light. He's here to lead you through whatever dark waters you might see. He's going to see you through the other side. The waves might be crashing against your boat, but you're going to get there because Jesus is with you. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. The light is Jesus. And the way to experience that light is a word that you have heard time, time, and time, time again in a relationship. 
It's in a relationship with Jesus each day. Let me, let me illustrate this. Let's suppose for the last 36 and a half years that my marriage to Sherry consisted of Sherry living in Reading and me living in Connecticut. And we never got together. We, we'd set our vows and whatnot, and then we lived on opposite coasts. Oh, we texted, we FaceTimed, we, whatever that stuff is we all do. What kind of relationship do you think I would have with her? Would I really know her? Would I really know the things that I've come to know over the 36 and a half years? Would she really know me? She might be relieved, but would she really know me? We often, people often treat their relationship with God that way. They say, God, you live in Connecticut, I'll be in Reading. And we'll FaceTime occasionally. And they don't get any deeper than that. Jesus Christ wants to have a relationship with that. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He said, I want to have a relationship with you. God wants to have a relationship. That's why he created man in the first place, was to have a relationship. That relationship was broken at the fall because of sin. Jesus came to restore it. We can get to know him through the word. I mean, God has given us his word to, to be able to, to learn more about Jesus. I, I wish that God had given me an instruction manual for my wife for 36 years that I could have read and say, oh, this is all what Sherry, that's why she does that. Okay, there it is right there. She wished she had one for me too, so, you know. But God didn't do that, did he? We expect, we expect to spend time together, get to know each other, and, and, and God has given us an added benefit in, because we can't physically be with Jesus other than the connection with the Holy Spirit that we have with him. He's given us his living and active word, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. We can get to know him through this. We can get to know things about God, about the Holy Spirit. We can get to know some things about the people that went before us that experienced that. And we can learn about that relationship all the more. See, remember, it's not, it's not about getting more of Jesus, this relationship. When I married Sherry, I got all of Sherry. I didn't get 10% of Sherry. I got all of her. Had I experienced all of her yet? No. There was a lot yet to experience, and vice versa. And over the years, and it's still going, there's still a lot to experience. Matter of fact, a month ago, I think it was, I did something or said something, and she said, I didn't know that about you. After 36 years, okay, there's still some new stuff there. We can, we can get to know God in this relationship, too, as, as we continue to fellowship with each other. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Do not give up the meeting of yourselves together as it's a habit of some but continue to meet regularly so that you may stimulate one another to love and good deeds, so that you may encourage each other in that relationship is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Don't give it up as some will do, because that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to give it up. Another way that we can embrace more of this relationship and experience more of the relationship with Jesus is through prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Say, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
We can experience that profound peace in that relationship with him. We can get to know him more that way. And when you pray, don't do all the talking. Listen occasionally. Listen occasionally. You know, that's hard for a guy like me that, that just wants to always be asking questions and trying to get all this information and, and to stop in one place for a little bit and do not. Solitude days are the hardest for me. You know what solitude day is? Just take a day, you just go off and be with the Lord, just you and the Lord alone. You don't do anything else but just concentrate on that for one day, 24 hours. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for me to do that. Now, there's a lot of blessing in it. When I persevere through it, I'm getting better. I think I'm up to about four hours now, something like that. I'm getting You know, Pastor Sean talked about in his last message, the Forgotten Sunday. Having a Sabbath day. We, we need to set time aside in the Lord to be with him. We can't expect to be in Connecticut or, and, and Reading and have this relationship work. We have to spend time together. He is the light of the world. And no matter what comes our way, we can count on that. He wants us to live in it. As the worship team comes forward, let me just summarize this up a little bit. The pitfall of this world is to believe that we can have hope in this world apart from Jesus. That it's going to be through our own institutions, it's going to be through our own devices, it's going to be through our own ingenuity, it's going to be through our own concept of truth. That we can have hope if we just somehow try harder and get it right. Couple that with the fact that Satan is, is propagating the same lie he propagated at the creation of the world. In Genesis 3, when he tempted Adam and Eve, and when they fell, what was the question he asked them? Did God really say? Did God really say you couldn't eat of that tree? Didn't he not say that you could do anything in the garden? And they started questioning God. And as they did that, they began to reason themselves, oh, this looks like it's good for food. Oh, well, yeah, maybe God doesn't want us to know everything he knows. Maybe, 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 maybe Satan's right. He's doing the same lie with us in this world today. Did God really say that he wants a relationship with you? Did God really say he would never leave or forsake you? Because sometimes I tell you, it, it feels challenging, doesn't it? going through life and there's a lot of storms that are buffeting up against our boat and we feel like we're going to drown. And, and, and we cry out, Jesus, where are you? And if we listen, I guarantee you we hear, I'm right here. I'm taking you through it. Why are you lacking faith? Just like he said to the disciples, why are you lacking faith? I want to throw out one encouragement here. As we encounter people who are in darkness and, and, and they're calling evil good and good evil, the temptation for us can be to come off very ungracious to them and to not have the love of Christ in us when we do that. The end of this chapter that we read in, in verse 14 of this reading this morning, he said, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Of all the people that Jesus met when he was walking this earth for three and a half years, Everybody that was, um, that was opposing him, he treated with grace and truth. Now, he spoke truth and love as well. An example of that would be the woman at the well that he met. She was living in sin. How did Jesus treat her? He asked her some questions. 
Now, he didn't compromise truth. He called her out on some things. But he offered her hope as well. And he held out that hope to her. And that's what we need to be willing to do. We need to be willing to hold out that offer. It's up to those people if they take it or not. It's the Holy Spirit's job to get people to respond. It's just for us to hold it out, to be full of grace and truth as Jesus was. May we not buy into the lie, but may we let the light of Christ shine brightly before us, no matter how countercultural it may be.